Bienvenidos a todos. You are listening to the Paseo Podcast, where we highlight stories by, from, and about the Puerto Rican community. My name is Joshua Smyzer de Leon, and I want to thank you for downloading this episode. If you are listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are streamed, give this podcast a like and subscribe to it. It makes a world of difference. We started this podcast as a way to bring attention to the diverse and vibrant stories that make up the Puerto Rican communities here in Paseo Boricua in Chicago and around the world. From La Isla to the diaspora, we hope you enjoy what you hear. Hey everyone, we have accomplished Boricua artist Carlos Rolón on the show today. But before we get into that, just wanted to share the latest happenings in the world of Puerto Rico news. Keep in mind, we are always sharing news and other fun stuff on La Isla and the Diaspora on our Twitter and Facebook at Paseo Podcast. First up, the Milken Institute of Public Health at George Washington University received a nearly $1 million contract from the National Institute of Standards and Technology for an investigation into Hurricane Maria deaths in Puerto Rico. Keep in mind, Hurricane Maria did kill over 4,000 Puerto Ricans. So this investigation may lead to more deaths being attributed to that hurricane. University officials said the project seeks to improve the death certification process and building standards across the United States mainland ahead of future storms as part of a collaboration with the University of Puerto Rico and others. Next up, Puerto Rico Governor Wanda Vasquez last Thursday announced she would reopen beaches, casinos, gyms, and movie theaters across La Isla as officials report a recent drop in COVID-19 cases and deaths. But some experts worry doing so could once again cause a spike in cases. The changes will be in effect from Saturday until October 2nd. Face masks and social distancing, especially at the beach, remain mandatory. Bars and clubs will stay closed and a 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. curfew will continue. And finally, Juncos-born civil rights activist Felicitas Mendez was honored with the Google Doodle this past Tuesday as a kickoff to Latinx Heritage Month. If you're hearing her name for the first time, she was a pioneer in the desegregation of U.S. public schools. When her children were denied enrollment to a local public school because of their ethnicity and skin color, she challenged the system and won. Felicitas and her husband, Gonzalo, led an educational civil rights battle that changed California and set an important legal precedent for ending segregation that existed because of local laws that mandated it in the U.S. Now, I understand these are all rapid fire, so definitely give our Twitter and Facebook a look for these stories and more. As I mentioned at the top of the show, artist Carlos Rolón is on today. We're going to talk about his beginnings in the art world, the NBA season, using art as a form of social advocacy, and more. Let's jump into the interview. Welcome, everybody, to the Paseo Podcast. It is September 10th, but that really doesn't matter because this is a podcast, so you're listening to this whenever, wherever you are. I have a very special guest with me here today. Our guest on the Paseo Podcast is Carlos Rolón. Carlos, why don't you tell our audience what they should know about you? Uh, I'm an artist born and raised in Chicago in Brighton Park, and 
my studio is based in Chicago and I live in Homa Park uh, at the moment. So Chicago-based artists, but exhibit work here in Chicago and abroad. I want to talk a little bit about your Instagram page. I had seen on your Insta uh, a basketball court that you had painted a mural on. Yeah. So if you could just share, what's the story behind that? Where, where did you paint this? And uh, it's my understanding that this was a part of Project Backboard. So if you could share a little bit about what, what is Project Blackboard. Project Backboard is, uh, was founded by Dan Peterson. It, it organically just grew from the love of the sport. And he was, you know, I, I won't give you his, his whole bio, but long story short, he was a lawyer working for a big, you know, well-known NBA team and uh, decided that he wanted to go and do a community-based work that was important to him. And so he combined basketball with his love and came up with Project Backboard where he commissions artists, works with artists to uh, paint basketball courts in places in Puerto Rico, in the U.S. But it's a, it's a, it's a, really, it's a really wonderful nonprofit. And the, the basketball court that you put on your Instagram page, is, was, that in, was that in Puerto Rico as well? Or was that in a different part of the world, different part of the United States? Where was that? Where so, was it done? So the funny thing is, is even how I met Dan was I saw it. I happened to see one of his courts on, Insta, on social media. Love and it. immediately fell in love with it. Just the concept. We met and we immediately said, yeah, let's work together. And but it was important for me that we did something in Puerto, in, in Puerto Rico and something in Chicago. You know, something that is meaningful to me because it kind of, it's a relationship of me going back and forth to the island since I was a, since I was a child. Speaking of basketball, though, Carlos, I know before we started recording, I asked you if you've been keeping up with the NBA playoffs and you... So transparently and honestly said, you know what, I'm not really, but, uh, but it's all good. It's all good. Cause I think a more important question uh, in regards to the NBA season is their return and this really player led movement, whether it's boycotting games because of what happened to Jacob Blake or, you know, adding, adding social justice um, verbiage on the back of their jerseys, BLM across the basketball court, really incorporating a lot of social justice messaging uh, before, after, and during games. So just wanted to get your perspective. Like, what are your thoughts on the NBA season continuing? And, and what are your thoughts on a lot of the, the leadership that we've seen from our NBA players, uh, just on the wider social justice conversation around the importance of Black, Brown, and Indigenous lives? The pandemic has obviously turned everything you know, we live in a new, we live in a new reality. And, but, you know, with that is coming this, I think this, this resurgence, this renewance and of, of cleansing. It really does. It feels like, it feels like a cleansing of sort. And it's a really beautiful thing to see. You know, I think a lot of people will question why they're doing it, but I think if you have a platform, I think it's fantastic. You know, when you think about the art world and you think about basketball, I think it's, um, it's strange also not seeing fans and the mm -hmm. idea of, you know, I mean, and again, I'm an artist. So, you know, I love the idea of going to a museum. You know, I love seeing paintings and, and that's something that people need. So there's that, there's a whole, then there's that whole other layer of missing the sport. Um, but now they're using it as a platform for a message. But in addition to that, not, even, not being able to socialize with friends right now, 
because of where we're at, you know? It's interesting. You, you mean, you brought up a good point, like being quarantined and this cleansing. It's one of those situations where being in the midst of a pandemic is, is awful. And when you think about the pressure on our healthcare system, unemployment, food banks, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of dissatisfaction in our society right now. And it definitely feels like the quarantine has amplified that and almost put a magnifying glass on a lot of the issues that have, have been a part of our society, but now we don't have as many distractions. We're at home more. If you have access to the internet, you're, you're being exposed to all different types of information that you probably wouldn't have dedicated the same amount of time to if you were going out with friends, if you were going to the movies, going to the zoo, going to a museum. So it's interesting. It's interesting with people not having a job to go to, there's that element of free time there too. You know what I mean? So it's, 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 it's almost like a, a recipe for like a social justice masterclass almost where people are organizing and demonstrating and and really communicating in a way we haven't seen before. I think it's very appropriate for, for us to talk about people going out and voting. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like there seems like there's a lot of urgency right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that we really need to take it as serious as possible. Yeah. And people need to get out and they need to go vote and, you know, make a change that way. It's a right, you know, if we don't use it. And that's not yep. just in general elections. So that's like, that's primaries. That's local elections. Like, this is like a bottom-up yeah. approach, not just for the president. I've been really, you know, I've been very fortunate that I've exhibited my work very broadly and I've been able to travel quite a bit. And so I, I've seen, I've been to some places where, you know, people are very grateful for what they have and they don't have a lot of rights. And we, we really take things for granted because we live in a society and we're really, we're really fortunate for what we have and what we can do. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who say that, you know, maybe the vote won't make a difference because, you know, the electrical college will you know, undermine the, the majority. Yeah, the popular vote. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they have to get out and they have to like hit the pavement mm-hmm. and they have to get out there and vote and tell others and tell them, especially Latinos. They yeah. have yeah. to get their family members out there to go vote. Okay, Carlos, so let, let's back it up a little bit. Can you tell us more about your int- introduction to the art world? What, how did you get your start? I knew at the age of 13 what I, want, what it, I, what I wanted to do. And I... I remember seeing this documentary on PBS and it was a documentary called Style Wars, which was made by Henry Chalfant and Tony Silver. And it was about the, the culture of graffiti and hip hop culture, but mostly graffiti. And when I saw it, I just remembered thinking, wow, this is so fascinating. And it completely just it really just took me somewhere else. I've never seen anything like it, but you know, I was really interested in the sociological aspect of, you know, why were these people, I mean, it was beautiful what they were doing, but like, you know, why would they go out and risk hurt, you know, their lives or hurting themselves or the idea of the ego behind it. And, you know, there was all these layers that I found really interesting and not just looking at, looking at getting up and being a writer, but, at the same time, just the idea of what that would do for one's self-esteem as well. You know, if you come from a certain neighborhood. But what's amazing is that the culture, when I saw it, was that they brought together white, black, Latinos from New York. And I thought that was amazing. So 
it's something that I just knew. I just knew, I just knew that I wanted to do it. So I started, you know, I started, I started, you know, doing graffiti and that was something that was, you know, definitely part of a stepping stone of my career when I was very young. I, I did, I decided to do a lot of uh, self-investigating. I went to a lot of museums by myself. I started avidly collecting books and doing a lot of research and art history research. I don't know. I, it was a language that I was still figuring out at that age. You know, I didn't know because I, you know, I loved what I was doing on the street, but I loved the idea of just going into the studio and working in the studio and yeah. making it really personal. Right. There's mm-hmm. this, there's this, you know, there's this dichotomy of, you know, do you want to go one Avenue or do you want to go a different Avenue or can you do both? I mean, I think there's a few artists that can do them as well. Like there's a few artists that have crossed over from the, the graffiti culture into, you know, into what they call the institutional system. Yeah. Are there any artists in particular that you admire right now in the game? My God, there's, uh, let me see, who's, who do I think is making really exciting work right now? Um, I know I'm putting you on the oh, spot you know here there's, too. There's not, <laughs> there's, no, there's, there's an artist named Edie Fake that I really like. And Edie cool. Fake is a transgender artist and shows with a gallery called Western Exhibitions here in Chicago. It, it's spelled E E D I E and F-A-K-E, Edie Fake. Just, just Google Edie Fake artist and look for it for yourselves. That's, I think that's probably some of the, the best work I've seen, you know, coming out in the past. That's awesome. And, and, you know, and get, getting back on, you know, starting my career, mm-hmm. it was one of those things too that, you know, I grew up in the southwest side of Chicago and I grew up in a very gang infested neighborhood. And so it was also something that saved my life. Yeah, I'm, I think that speaks to, you know, you'll have some people in our, in our, our country that will, really demonize people that live in in an area that may have a lot of gang activity, may have a lot of violence. And it almost seems like it's a lot of victim blaming and a lot of blaming the community as opposed to like, how are we resourcing? Like you, your outlet was art and how that impacted you. I mean, you see the effects of that. I mean, you're, you've had, you've had your art displayed in places like New Orleans, London, Dallas, Puerto Rico. I saw on your Instagram that uh, you were also named uh, New City Arts with 2020 top 50 uh, Chicago artists, artists. Yeah. If you weren't introduced to the art world at that point, who knows what path you, you might've taken. And I think there's something to be said about those types of investments and exposure to, to different different ways to, to really output that, that energy. And that's why I decided to work with Project Backward or yeah. things, you know, things like that and giving back to the community so, in, in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, one basketball court that we did was, is in Pilsen um, and the other ones in Puerto Rico. So, you know, it was, you know, and some people had said, well, you know, why wouldn't you do one in, you know, in a Puerto Rican community? And my thing is that, Art is democratic. I grew up in that area. I grew up in Brighton Park and a lot of my mm-hmm. friends grew up in Pilsen. And also, you know, the Chicago Boys and Girls Club is a great foundation. I wanted to work with them. But, and so, you know, going off of what you just said, that I think as an artist and where I've been at my career and I've been very blessed and very fortunate and, but I'm also willing to take chances with my work. And I think one of the things that I've realized is that I need, what I need I think for my soul, just, just, I think just for my soul is that 
I, I've been working a lot of uh, social practice. And so making sure that if I do a museum exhibition of some sort, it just, no matter where it is, it can be, you know, in Asia or it could be here. And I always try to make sure that there's a component that involves a community in, in some way. I saw in your, in your bio on your website that you had mentioned that your approach to your art, you like to explore questions of inclusion, um, aspiration, cultural identity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for people that haven't seen, haven't seen your art before, how would you describe, how would you describe your art? You know, a lot of it deals with like memory, childhood memory, and also again the idea of aspirations and, you know, seeing how my, my father, who was a factory worker, which very blue collar worker, and my mother who retired from Jewel, and, you know, she had a leg hair and nail salon. She did hair and she would do perms and, and she would do them out of her house. And, you know, I know a lot of families that come from the Caribbean or Latino or, you know, African-American and I'm sure even, you know, and I'm sure the Polish, I'm sure the Ukrainian community, I'm sure, you know, the Israeli community, I'm sure they have their own, you know, everyone has their own, you know, their own way of, of interacting. And sometimes it's very common that people will go get their hair done at a friend's house. And they're running a business out of it, making extra income to support your family, your kids. I love making work that, you know, that kind of addresses those 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 issues and you know yeah. i also think that you know uh, I, you know but my work is very multidisciplinary so i can go from making work that deals with that part of um something that i want to talk about uh which again is about you know, i have an identity crisis you know as a latino living in chicago and talking spanish with you know talking in spanish with my family tells about five or six and then them not wanting to speak Spanish in the household because my mother felt that it was more important to get, a, you know, the idea that, the idea of not speaking Spanish mm -hmm. and because to make sure that, you know, we spoke English was the idea of success. Yeah. And so, so I, again, so I make work about that as well. You know, the things that I grew up with and, what one person would see as tchotchke, I kind of see as a, a work of art. I deal with identity because I had an identity crisis and I had to learn Spanish back again when I was in high school. So it's the whole thing of, you know, and I've had these discussions of Puerto Rican identity, people who are born in the States and versus the mm -hmm. island. And then also uh, what I found interesting is that, you know, uh, it goes back to, I remember having a discussion with my science teacher in fifth grade and she was telling me that I'm American. And I was like, no, I'm Puerto Rican. Like, you know, mm -hmm. my, mother, my mother's Puerto Rican, my father's Puerto Rican. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah. She's like, but where were you born? I said, I was born in Chicago. She's like, then you're American. And so I just remember going home and crying because, you know, she was telling me that, you know, that I wasn't Puerto Rican. And so immediately like, it kicks out this identity crisis. Yeah. And so that's what I make part of. So that's, that's a, that's a body of my work. And then, you know, and then I, I think, you know, what's, what's been happening with like Maria and the earthquakes and, you know, people who are still living under these, you know, these, these blue tarps and these roofs and, 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 and Puerto Rico, it's really, you know, it's important that there's some awareness that's brought to it. 
you know, so I've been making some work that's based on, you know, but also how do you create beauty out of destruction? You know, you see the resilience of people. And so, you know, that's been very inspirational to me. And so I've been making these large mirror sculptures based on the hurricane patterns uh, that, oh, wow. have, that have struck the island. Yeah. Oh, and so and then that's what you're working on right now? It's an ongoing series. It, okay. It's, it's one, I mean, I have, I, I've only made two. And one of them is Maria, one of them is, uh, is Irma. So it was the, the hurricanes that struck back to back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it was just, it's important. You know, I, I made a study and then I made an actual work. But, you know, I still, um, you know, I still get inspired by the resilience of what people, you know, do. Because I, I go back and forth quite a bit. And so, but I get inspired by the resilience of just, you know, of, of the people and what they've gone through, but, you know, and them kind of showing this, uh, you know, this beauty that's still there. And so I try to, you know, I'm really kind of talking about taking this, you know, the idea of introducing beauty out of destruction as well. So I have, again, it was, the work is very multi, multidisciplinary and I've done site-specific installations where um, at the Museum of Contemporary Art, where I reproduced my my mother's living room, my parents' living room when I was six years old, mm-hmm. and wow. we had just, yeah we had Astro Wifey doing nails, um, so I worked with her, and that was great. I mean, that was you know it was it was fantastic. I mean, it was great to walk into the Museum of Contemporary Art, you know, downtown Chicago, and mm-hmm. literally I could sit down on the floor and watch the. I can watch Woody Woodpecker and I can watch the Flintstones and I can watch the Jeffersons and people experienced this. I had this ongoing, I had this video montage made of things that I watched as a, as a child. And then people got the mm. mail on every Saturday and Sunday. Like it was in my house. Oh my gosh. So this is like, a, this is, so this was an interactive art piece. It literally was a down to, you know, down to the few inches. Yeah. A replica of my my living room when I was six years old. Were you giving Were you giving people haircuts too? Uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> we actually, no, we actually, we actually did that for a different exhibition. In, oh, that's awesome! In, yeah, I, I it was I was inspired by um, so yeah I was inspired by the idea of you know what a haircut does you know yeah to these you know so I recreated this the idea of you know. I, you know, I love the neighborhood barbershops and I love the communal aspect of it. And I love the communal aspect of the nail salon that I created in the living room. And so that's another part of my work that, that I'm interested in and is, is, you know, the idea of, of communal and community and, you know, how do, how do people interact? I, I reproduced this for a thing called Art Basel uh, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in Miami. So I did a project with Andre Balaz, who owns The Standard and we did this project where I took over one of the entrance by the hotel and I did my living room when I was eight years old. Cause you know, of course they have to change the wallpaper every two years. You know, you have to upgrade the mirror, you have to change it. So there's, you have to just keep going with times. And yeah, then we had the eighties, but I didn't reproduce the eighties. So, <laughs> um, so anyways, I, you know, it was, it was interesting. And the actress Tilda Swinton was there. Oh, yeah. She had heard about the exhibition. She came in, she came and got her nails done and was, you know, I hired and was great is because I was able to hire local nail artists that lived in mm. Miami. And I 
went and I visited salons and I, you know, I met, you know, all the locals and I invited, you know, two of the women to come and work and, and, you know, to do their thing, like no questions asked and mm-hmm. to create art on the nail and, and people's nails. And, you know, they were, they were able to earn money, but also they were doing what they do for a living. And also the idea that the art world would recognize it as an art form mm-hmm. and this idea of community. So here we have, Tilda Swinton, this, you know, this well-known Hollywood actress with, you know, with a local nail artist that they just talked about their mom and their mother for, Mm. you know, for like almost an hour and a half. Wow. Yeah. So exactly how you're feeling about it and how we're talking about it, that's really important for me that that gets across in the world. That's definitely a moment. Uh, uh, Hopefully I stuck with Tilda too. Um, So... Actually, speaking of Tilda Swinton, that's not your fo- that's not your first time encountering someone with a certain level of fame. Like I- I've seen on your Instagram account, like it looks like you've had some pretty good opportunities collaborating with people with with some well known with some well known names, platforms behind them. What's that? What's that like? Um, for lack of a better term, like producing your art in the streets, but then also producing your art in the suites. Like, what's that, what's that like? How do you strike that balance? Like, how do you stay true to yourself in one environment versus the other? You know, I think I really love collaborating and working with people that have the same feeling, same mission. I decided to go to Columbia College for maybe half a semester. And, and, and the reason I left is because I didn't, see, I didn't see a lot of myself reflected back in the class. I didn't see a lot of Latinos or I didn't see people that kind of reflected my community and my, you know, from Chicago and just being Latino. I just didn't see a lot of it. And what she was talking about, I had already read because I had already amassed a huge book collection and did a lot of reading and research on my own. And so I decided that it just wasn't for me. And, um, you know, sometimes one has regrets and I don't, I don't think I necessarily have regrets. I think maybe, I think maybe I miss, I think maybe, uh, and it's important for me, like, you know, when you and I were talking before this and you were telling me that you just finished school with your master's and, you know, you know, I'm really proud of that. And I I mean, and I'm very genuinely proud of that and to see another Latino uh, doing well. And that's important for me. And, it's something that, you know, it's something that I take very serious. And I think, you know, as a parent, as, you know, as a, as a, you know, a fellow, you know, member of society, I mean, you want to see people do well, but especially, you know, when you have young Latinos that I think are working for, you know, you know, trying to make a difference. And I think it's, it's good. And I think we've probably gone off topic three or four times, but you know, <laughs> we were talking about your grandfather and I, and yeah. I asked you a big, before we started recording, you know, who, where did, where did the, you know, where did it really start? What was really inspiring? You talked about your grandfather. So, you know, mm-hmm. making work of me personally, making work about those stories are important. So, and how I make that work, you know, cause I, you know, cause I do want to go back and still address, you know, these, these questions about, you know, what, how I think about the work and how I make it, but also the idea that I decided to leave Columbia college and, you know, basically pursue being an artist that, you know, you know, you have strikes against you, you know, you're, you're a minority and 
predominantly you know Caucasian male field, which is the art world. You know, even being a being a woman in the art world is very difficult. So, you know, and to also look at that maybe if you don't have a degree, that maybe it's something that can be frowned upon. But uh, you know, I just decided that I, I was gonna I was gonna pave my own way, honestly. And I I just I I had to train. And I was gonna keep it on schedule. There's one element of your artwork that I, I do want to touch on specifically, and you did touch on this earlier. We touched on this a bit earlier in this episode. It is around this this larger uprising the, to bring attention to social justice issues, the way black, brown, indigenous bodies are not really respected in our society as they should be, how the opportunities that are afforded to those with more privilege with lighter complexion are given as opposed to people that may come from a predominantly Latinx household or a, a black indigenous household. There's two people in particular that I want to mention because I've seen these prints of yours uh, throughout, uh, in a few places in Chicago, especially by Segundo Ruiz Belvis Cultural Center and right down the street from where I live. It was these Rest in Paradise prints of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. And you had used a a floral pattern, which I've seen you use a number of, of times in, in different aspects of your work. What inspired you to, to, design, to design those images and not only to design those images, but also offer them to the public? Yeah, it, it was something that was, I can tell you wholeheartedly, I never really considered myself a political artist. And, but I think, I just think that we have, uh, you know, we just have a duty, I think, right now to, to really just, you know, not be afraid and use your platform in, wh in whichever way that you have to, to, you know, to say something. And, you know, for people who, who don't say anything, I think that, you know, do you really want to look back and think that you did not, you, you were on, you did not contribute to making, you know, a change and, you know, and I, I know that people have gone through it before, they've, they've worked for change, but it's just another cycle. And I think that you have to continue doing it. And I, again, I've never considered myself um, uh, a political artist, but, you know, and I know, and I know artists that, you know, and I've done it as well, where, you know, I'll donate a work for a fundraiser that will deal with maybe either, um, a personal cause, you know, dealing with AIDS or, you know, lending money for an institution to raise funds, you know, so they can do uh, projects free of charge, you know, for the community of some sort, and, you know, things like that. And, but I, I just felt that I had, I, I just felt that I had a duty to, to make something that was available for free that people can download and, and, you know, people can go to the, to the website and they can download, uh, I believe we have three of them. We're, we're, I think we're working on another one that's going to be coming out soon. I didn't, I didn't, um, I didn't realize and expect it to take off the way that it did. And, you know, but I'm very happy. I'm humbled by it because I just, I love the fact that the message is getting out in, in a, in again, in a very beautiful way. Yeah. So, you know, it, it goes back again, how can you make, you know, beauty out of something that, you know, is, you know, from a terrible situation. And so that's also my way of kind of paying respects, you know, uh, 
and but in a manner that people are free to download it from as small as a sticker to you can frame it on vinyl or canvas or whatever you whatever you want however you, you would like people use it on protest signs people have used it um as a memorial like they'll set up a memorial with candles and mm. they're and they're quite beautiful and i've seen them in you know in businesses and storefronts i've seen people frame them in their homes mm -hmm. so you know i definitely encourage uh people to use it and pass them along we want to take this moment to say thank you again for listening when you download our podcast or subscribe to the podcast itself that makes a world of difference so gracias for taking your time to listen to us we also want to take this time to thank the sponsor of today's episode this episode would not be possible without the generous support of the puerto rican cultural center the puerto rican cultural center located at 2546 west division street right here in chicago is a community-based grassroots educational health and cultural services organization founded on the principles of self-determination self-actualization and self-sufficiency that is all activist oriented for more information on the work they do give them a visit at their website at prcc-chgo.org again that's prcc-chgo.org now if you or anyone else you know would like to be a sponsor of the paseo podcast please email us at paseopod at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-E-O-P-O-D at gmail.com. Tell them Joshua from Humble Park sent you. Is there any particular reason why you uh, really lean into using plant life, floral patterns in your art what, what what's your reasoning behind that uh a lot of a lot of that work stemmed from a body of work that i started several years ago most of the work is called gilda lily which hmm. is it is a term that people say you know that you you can't add something more beautiful onto something that's already beautiful and so i did a body of work that addressed the the colonization of Puerto Rico from the Spanish and the, the Inquisition and, you know, the search for gold. Mm -hmm. So I, I did a lot of research and I, you know, the Spanish came in and basically, they basically pillaged and raped uh, a culture to, uh, to mine for gold. And so those, the paintings are my reinterpretations of what the, you know, of what the vegetation looked like and what it potentially, what the surface looked like. And, you know, and also at the same time, there's this lasting effect. So not only, so again, how do you, how do you, how can you create something beautiful out of something, you know, that, you know, literally, I mean, you know, they killed, they killed off, uh, you know, a culture of people, but they also- In the million, in the millions. In the millions, yeah. So the yeah. thing is, they also introduced a whole new culture of people, you know, and, and with that, they brought, 
you know, food, music, uh, they brought, you know, another form of culture they brought. And with that came, you know, flora and fauna and, you know, all these things that were never, were never there to begin with. So, you know, then I started creating this, uh, you know, these floral works that were, you know, based on, you know, a metaphor for migration and hybridity and what happens when people migrate and they introduce a new species and, you know, I use it as a metaphor for, for several things. And so I have a body of work that, you know, definitely um, speaks, you know, about the colonization and the, you know, and the, the search for gold and the destruction, but also with that came, with that came beauty as well. And the, the beauty is the, is again, the resilience of, of people and what they've done and, how they've adapted and so a lot of that and i'm doing that with tile work right now as well mm-hmm. so i'm very interested in working with reclaimed tile that's maybe 400 years old and making my own tile as well so it, it has the same it has the same meaning as the the floral work that that i'm that i'm working on it's part of you know it's just it's just an extension of the floral work so i i decided to actually stop making those uh those paintings for mm-hmm. exhibitions right now yeah, and so um, so with that with the tile work you just mentioned, you're doing that in your your studio, right? You have a studio space here in the city, correct? And what where yeah. where's your studio? Your studio in Little Village, Pilsen area? Um, yeah, it's between Pilsen and Chinatown. I mean, talk about being surrounded by art. Pilsen, one of the largest concentrations of murals in the city. That's a, a great space to to be in. So they have, they have historical murals down there that are yeah. Still- Oh, definitely. I mean, I, going down to Pilsen, same as being at Paseo and seeing all those murals that tell our culture, history, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's inspiring. But I, I do want to talk about your, your studio in Pilsen. What's it like having your own space? I don't know how long you've had the studio for, but you know, what's it like having your own space to, to really develop your art form produce your own art and, and what's what was that process like in securing a space of your own it's it's a lot of hard work honestly it really yeah. is i have a team that really you know we're a small family and i have a team of people in the studio that i consider family and we all really kind of believe in the same thing and it's very organic and it's also very tough because you know, with what's going on with the pandemic and we had to shut the studio down for three months, you know, that's, that's very much a reality, but also it's kind of made me rethink my studio practice. Do you really need so much space and you, you know, what kind of work are you making for that within that space? And, you know, what's the outcome of that? So that's made me rethink a lot of things. But, you know, when I first started, I mean, you know, I was sharing the studio, uh, my my studio I shared with Cody Hudson, who's a great artist, great Chicago artist, and he's also a designer, and he's my homeboy, and he also owns Longman and Eagle and Parsons. And so he's an all he's an all-around Renaissance person and just an all-around good guy. And then, you know, as it just kind of went along, you know, my work got more ambitious and I started you know producing larger work and more work and you know so you just kind of keep expanding but yeah it's 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 a lot of work it, it really is but we run a very tight ship at the studio and again we're, we're all very close so you know i have a great studio manager i have uh, 
another person that works in, in the office that she, you know, they're both like my left and right brain. <laughs> and, you know, and then we have people that, that assist in the paintings and the sculptures because it, it takes a lot of work sometimes when you're working on maybe several paintings and sculptures and you want to create a certain amount of work for different shows, it's impossible to do by yourself. Yeah, no, I, I totally. I mean, is there, I mean, there's something to be said about securing your own space where you can call it your own, have that space to, to be creative and even welcome, welcoming other people into that process. For aspiring artists that aren't able to, to intern with you, you know, do you have any advice that you'd like to give to, to any artists that might be listening? The only thing that I can say will work for me, honestly, is I have an old friend of mine uh, from Chicago who is just doing amazing work, and you know I couldn't be more happier for him. His name is Theaster Gates, but so Theaster is also he also does a lot of social practice within his work, um, and he does a lot of community building. But you know he's you know he's he's a rock star, and rightfully so, and he's you know he's making really important work right now, and he and I would joke that you know we're, you know, we're hustlers and then we're artists. Mm. And so I just feel that you have to, you know, if you really believe in what you're, what you're doing as a visual artist, as a musician, you know, it, and, and honestly, if, if you're a plumber, I, it doesn't matter if, you know, if it's something that you love, I think that you have to be willing to take it all the way to the left. And sometimes you get killed for it. And sometimes, you, you know, you succeed. Mm. And I've got killed for it and I've succeeded in certain things. And I think you have to be willing to take it all the way to the left. Mm. And, you know, even to this day, I still, you know, I still think that way. I also make sure that I, I keep an agenda every day. I keep an agenda of what needs to be done every single day. And I read a book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. And I would say the autobiography of Malcolm X and the autobiography of Jackson Pollock, all three of those combined, all those three books, I can tell you laid the foundation mm-hmm. personally. Appreciate you giving us some insight into what could be that foundation and that inspiration. If people want to keep up with you, where, where should they go? It's very simple. It's just carlosroland.com. And that's for that's for website that's for uh instagram i just i keep it i keep it simple well we appreciate you being on carlos before i let you go special bonus question do you have a favorite puerto rican nba player oh man Uh, (laughs) there's not many of us (laughs) no but there there is one guy though but i'm only saying this because uh i did something with dirk oh nice uh nowitzki Mm mm-hmm so I was going to cheat just now because he, he was telling, he and his wife were telling me about a Puerto Rican basketball player. Love it. Love it. Well, I believe there was JJ Barea. He played on that, that uh, championship yes. Dallas oh, team. Wait, hold on a second. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> hey, so listen, I'm not making this up. That's exactly who I'm referring to. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think he helped them pull out that win. He was a big part of them pulling out that win against the Miami Heat. Yes. Yeah. So, so listen, that is the person that, that Dirk was and his wife were mentioning and talking about to me. And that's how, yeah, that, awesome. was, that was my cheat answer. So thank you.
<laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. I go between JJ Berea and Carmelo Anthony. Is is you know, you know, he did he did a really cool project. Mm -hmm. uh, people should look it up in La Perla. And he did a basketball court in La Perla. Yeah, I, and yeah. He's, he he uh, it's it's quite well known and he had it completely renovated and if people don't know about it just really look about the history of la perla and and what it is yeah. and it's 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 amazing it's a, it's a, it's an amazing amazing community on the island and it was a really beautiful project that he did there yeah, no, definitely. It's definitely something should be more, people should be more aware of. I don't even think many people know that Carmelo Anthony is Afro-Latino. Um, but no, uh, I, I listen. I had no idea. I I really didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I had no idea. And so because I question, I'm like, that's strange. I'm like, why did Carmelo Anthony do that? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like why is LeBron and in like, China? Like, yeah. <laughs> and they just said, they just said, oh, he's, he's half Puerto Rican. I'm like, oh, he is. I had a Dave Chappelle moment. I was like, oh, word. I'm like, wait, what? Gotta send him an invitation to the barbecue now. Come no, on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I appreciate you having this conversation with me, Carlos. Really appreciate you being on the podcast. Um, and we're hopefully we'll have you back again soon. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Special thanks to Carlos Rolon for coming on the show today. Without our awesome guests, this podcast would not be possible. And without you, our listeners, this would not be possible. So we really appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out to the show, connect with us by visiting our website, baseomedia.org, emailing us at baseopodcast at gmail.com, and following us at baseopodcast on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a tip, want to pitch a story, or send us a compliment, we love to hear from you. Thanks for downloading this episode, and see you next week. Cuídate.